0: This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to
1: haunt our dreams. Horror. You got right on you. they coming to get you, Barbara. Horror. A- Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh! The Horror. It's a horror movie podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the newcomer Steve Allman.
0: And I'm the expert Rob Holmes.
1: And today we are looking at the 1984 crash bang wallop of a classic ass movie, Gremlins. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah we are. Um, This, man, this is like this along with films like the goonies and ghostbusters that that was like making up my childhood you know what i mean in indiana jones <clears>
1: this is quintessential 80s absolutely uh, this, this
0: is, is oh it's so golden
1: era 80s
0: <laughs> it's so good and the thing about gremlins man when you think about what it could have been um it would not have been as beloved as it is today so So, this film is a. It's directed by Joe Dante, who uh, directed The Howling. And he. It's produced by Steven Spielberg, his executive producer, and written by Chris Columbus. Who's known for directing Home Alone, Home Alone Two, and the first two Harry Potter films?
1: Lots of lots of big talent coming out of this movie. Uh, like yeah, really, like after having cut like well, Joe Dante having cut his teeth in like the early '80s and late '70s, mm-hmm. and then uh, coming up, stepping up to the big leagues with these uh, Steven Spielberg produced uh, like very big films that like that are very glitzy, glossy for the time. And then mm-hmm. Chris Columbus like who I like Loki like really admire for the stuff that he's been doing. I even recently saw his uh Kurt Russell Santa Claus movie which is hilarious and weird. Uh like Chris Columbus like as a writer kind of doesn't really get the credit that he deserves cuz he's he's kind of gone like toe to toe with a lot of great writers for mm-hmm. some big movies.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the strange thing is because when you look at Chris Columbus and some of his films, oh man. But then, you know, it's the same thing with Joe Dante and it's the same thing even with Spielberg. There's a lot of his films that I am just not a fan of. Uh, but I think all directors have hits and misses. This is a total hit on, on all levels. And, and you know what it is? It's the early 80s, man. The early 80s seem to, late 70s, early 80s, really brought together... Uh, some great filmmaking talent across the board, writing, producing, directing, and the, and, and special effects. Man, like the, the effects in this, the animatronics alone. I think I read it was somewhere around thirty or forty thousand dollars per uh, Gremlin you know that
1: that's that's incredibly expensive which again hearing that or like thinking about that you're like oh that's why they really utilized a lot of shots with the gremlins especially later on in the movie
0: well and their animatronics too because it's showcasing what they can do that's the thing when you see the little mogwais some of those look a little puppety and whatever but they still look pretty good Uh, all the way throughout but then you see when they transform and it's just you're like all right man now I see where a lot of this budget went to whoa and it's this movie is just it's such a strange film too when you think about it because you think it's just a basic story about and it is about you know Billy Peltzer getting this pet from his dad who in the beginning it's a strange scene with with uh, his father Rand Peltzer getting uh, gizmo, this mogwai from this uh, Chinatown store. And this old man doesn't want to sell very,
1: it. The, the, the very culturally sensitive uh, t- Chinatown store.
0: Oh my gosh, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it's very indicative it is of, of like Hollywood in the early 80s of what they were going for. Um, that style. And you can definitely tell it, it has that little Steven Spielberg uh, Indiana Jones-ish it's got that it whimsy, that like, even, like, seeing, yeah.
1: see- seeing that, um the like, the light of the shop, that golden hue of, right. like, candlelight and industrial lamp, and then the short kid with the, like, baseball cap, like, this looks so Spielberg. Well, I so mean, and,
0: and then you also have uh, Temple of Doom coming out the same year, and you have Short Round in there, so. And yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, like, it's very it's
1: reminiscent just, of exactly what Spielberg it was seems doing like there's in a that lot decade. of
0: yeah, yeah, and it's kind of fun to see these connecting the dots and these parallels between uh, some of the films that he was producing and some he was directing. But then, you know, we, we find he gets the Mogwai, it brings him back. We have the three rules, uh, which get broken faster than any rules almost immediately. Well, the first is uh, keep him out of sunlight, or, you know, keep him out of light. Uh, direct sunlight will kill them. Um <clears throat> Don't get them wet, and whatever you do, no matter how much they beg, no matter how much they cry, do not feed them after midnight. And yeah, man, within a day, I think, or two days, which we can like, all, which we can all always all pick broken. apart.
1: And I'm like, all right, well, like, when when's the midnight to whenever window? Like, you know, and that's uh, so so so, that
0: midnight, is, a, uh. so any any of the stuff that were questions in the first film, they are answered in the second film, which Joe Dante yes, exactly. directed, which is a it's way before its time. 1990. It is meta as hell. It references Gremlins as being a movie in its own world, even though the events happened. Very, very strange. Um, but it's more of a comedy, and to me, that they, it delves into parody and things like that more so than taking itself seriously. This film... Uh, The first Gremlins borders on comedy horror very well. There's a lot of macabre scenes in this. I mean, we have the Santa story that comes from Phoebe Cates that um, it it seems like a really downer note. And apparently, like, Joe Dante was, like, really pushing for it. Studio did not want it in the film. But I'm think i
1: curious as to, like, this movie's kind of perplexing (laughs) because... Mm -hmm. I would almost say that this presents itself as a comedy first and then it's like trying to push its way into just like light horror aspects or I mean not so much light but like Mm. it has like small like emerging elements of horror that is actually surprising like not so much tonally but like outside of its own pacing I'm like oh like I'm not supposed to be laughing at this part (laughs) like where we've kind of just been along for this fun ride right and i
0: i get that but to me it it seems more horror with because there's the comedy that you would get in a traditional horror film in the beginning but it's funnier than what you get in a traditional horror film uh and then when you delve into these suspenseful and horrifying moments they're legit right off the bat when you're introduced to the gremlins attacking billy's mom which uh, let me just say this the original script for this damn Chris Columbus like I didn't think you had it in you. In the original script, he ends up killing the dog, which would have been awful because why? Like they already do it in every other horror movie. Uh, but luckily it doesn't end up happening. Um, and the other thing is, they were gonna decapitate Billy's mom and toss her head down the stairs.
1: That's that's insane. But like that again, that's an enti- that makes an entirely different movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah not one that you want really, to really.
0: Well, and then there, the other thing was, Doctor, uh, when he goes to see Mister Hansen over at the uh, the college or wherever or the school, and um, he gets the <clears throat> the needle in the butt originally and they I guess they had filmed the scene he had needles a ton of them sticking out of his face and they were they just ended up cutting that because it was too a little too much for what I guess they were going for um and then the other thing was they were going to have gizmo become the head gremlin in turn with everybody else that was the original and that was actually that was planned for filming And then right as they're filming, or I guess when filming had started, Spielberg liked this, loved Gizmo's look and was like, no, kids are going to love it. We want to follow Gizmo's story, so let's have it be Billy and Gizmo, um, and we'll have this character Stripe that comes in. And then they were, you know, it was dealing with having to adjust what you already had for Gizmo to try and make him look better and do more stuff as he's moving around the film, which is why he's, like, in the backpack most of the film towards the end, or, you know, in the middle part of it.
1: And that's that seems like a very specific, direct, like, plot contrivance to just, like, okay, well, we we have to have him always around. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yeah, you know, but it
0: makes sense because Gizmo needs to be with, with Billy anyway, so I actually like that... It 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 fit together so well, and and the way this this film is paced out, it adds. There's enough of these really vile, horrifying moments, where I mean, this was also one of the films that helped to herald in the PG-13 rating, which came out a few months after this film was released. You know, along with Temple of Doom coming out same year, the amount of violence in this film. It it goes from, ha ha, lighthearted to holy crap, this thing is coming at Billy with a chainsaw trying to cut him into pieces. We have citizens of this town being murdered. Some, like, the, the, the Puttermans were, or the Futtermans were supposed to originally be killed. Like, the Futtermans were supposed to die, but they added in a little thing at the end to say that Mr. Futterman was okay, and then they bring him into the sequel. But novelization and all that stuff, they are dead.
1: So a lo- it, there's an interesting thing that, like, we talk about t- – I talked about Tone before. <clears throat> yeah. I'm still – I still go back and forth as to how serious I want to take this movie every once in a while because of right. just how dour and, like, uh, like again, macabre that a lot of the things that the gremlins are doing. But they are just so, like, absurd. They're just absurd. Right to well, look at on screen as well as like they don't take themselves too seriously. I and think I
0: just there's there's two moments that make that happen though, and I noticed this in the last watch uh, or my rewatching of it was the bar scene. The montage in the bar scene, if you just had them harassing Phoebe Cates and you took out the flash dance references and some of the referential humor of the time where they're wearing masks that somehow fit them and have mini guns that fit them, which the one at the end with Stripe, fine, I'll buy that. But all the other stuff seems slightly absurd in that moment. And if you took away that montage and still kept the Snow White scene... I think you would have something that would be a little more tense, right?
1: Because again, this, like all of these things kind of happen at the end, where mm-hmm. I'm like, what? What even? Like, like it's not bad, but I'm just like, no, Man, it's this not movie's bad. weird. Yes, because like, like it, it is weird because you have a lot of these tonal shifts where, like, the kids ch- pursuing all of these things are like they are in dire straits. Like they are. People are are
0: actually getting killed in this. Yeah. You know, it does seem lighthearted. You have probably, I think, one of the most deserved deaths in film history. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Mrs. Deagle. want to to talk about that. Mrs. Deagle. uh, She is. I mean, she was the worst because her whole (laughs) thing. And it was very much. Wizard of Oz, Wicked Witch. It was, I'm going to get your dog type thing. Right, uh, exactly. She wanted to torture and kill his dog. And that was just, that was absolutely horrible. And she just des- doesn't describe specifically what she's, going. well, no. At one point, she actually does describe what she's going to do. And it's like, put it into a, uh, you know, uh, a dryer and turn it on high. And then someone turns and is like, yep, nope, that would do it. So you have these horrifying things, and then these very funny moments, but uh, in between, like, like peppered throughout. Um, but she was absolutely vicious. Like, she just wanted to kill Barney, and there was no reason for killing Barney. Because Barney's a dog, and Barney's awesome. So when Deagle meets her end, it is one of the greatest moments in film history.
1: <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Um, because, again, th- this film delivers pr- some pretty amazing moments like that, and then... It still has this lighthearted fun. Like, I've talked about this with Poltergeist as well, where it's – these Steven Spielberg produced ones, like, there's always just this era of, again, like, whimsy and lightheartedness where regardless of what is being shown, you still feel safe. You still kind of feel Mm -hmm. like – what you're watching isn't like the most in, in jeopardy that you could feel in. Most oh, absolutely, films. yeah. And I feel like the audience uh, like goes along for a ride like that a bit more easily, where mm-hmm. no matter what happens, we're still having fun, even yeah. if like th- this woman wants to torture a dog, and like it's still presented in such a way where you're like, okay, that like that happened, yeah, she got hers, kind of a thing. Right. Where right. I feel like any other movie would have been like leaning into it hard and made that dark and, like, made the gremlins feel far more... Uh, Malicious.
0: Even though what yes. they're doing is really messed up when you think about it. It's done... It, it's gallows humor, but not too much in your face. You exactly. Know? And they're, t- like, breakdancing and, like, but, throwing yeah.
1: popcorn and shit. Like, it's a... It's,
0: a, and that's, it's that, so weird. That's kind of, I think, what makes this movie work, is... I, you know, it is weird because it's when we talk about how those scenes make the film kind of ridiculous well, when it comes to their montage stuff and the movie theater to, to a degree, those scenes are actually what helped make the film. And act, I would say that Santa moment with Phoebe Cates where she's telling Zach Allen oh, about it. I think it's it's so morbid, but it's so real. You know, it's, it's like this is something that it humanizes everyone. What actually what I really love about this film, it is about Kingston Falls. It you know, it is about Billy and it's about Gizmo and everyone that, but it's about the entire town dealing with this with gremlins, you know, invading oh, very true. and taking it, over.
1: And yeah, and, it, and like I again, it's the it's the trappings of like this clearly like this set town, quote unquote, mm-hmm. where it's this very fake, very Hollywood like like what's the what's the what's the word that i'm looking for dude uh, it's
0: it's literally the back to the future it's yes, the same th- it's the same I'm... as the back to the future set yeah. it is it is the, the ideal... facade town the facade is, yeah.
1: town the americana norman rockwell painting uh, oh, of dude! It's, America. it's
0: it is the American dream, right there. You know what I mean? Sure,
1: and it's and they just keep playing and playing with that. It's 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 a ridiculous. Well, I mean, they typo. they play with
0: it. They play with it a lot in the sequel as well, but only through Billy's art, and then dealing with you know that whole. It, that's a whole different story in itself. Which actually, I will say, <clears throat> for a sequel, the only reason that. One of the only reasons that I don't like the second one as much as the first is that I really wanted it to go back to King- Kingston Falls and deal with the fallout of everything that happened the first time around. Because we never, we never really deal with what has gone on. I want to, you know, talk to these characters again. You know, we have Corey Feldman's character, Pete, who we see in the beginning, who is, I guess, Billy's neighbor and comes over and hangs out with him sometimes. And you see him in the beginning. You see him fighting off the gremlins and stuff dangerously by using scissors to cut uh, Christmas lights or whatever. But, hey, you know, you do you, man. Um, But I would like to see, like, in the future, you know, following and seeing if he's now grown up and then all of a sudden gremlins come back. And it's, uh, you're still dealing with with Billy, and Billy and Kate together, and then, you know, how they are in the the sequel, but still in the town, you know what I mean? Like, have everybody in the town and follow their stories. I want to know how Billy's parents are dealing with it, because his dad wasn't around, really, for any of it. Rand got to miss all of it, so, like, seeing how the survivor, well, how everyone from the town deals with the deaths that happened, the carnage that happened there, And are they going to be prepared if another Gremlin attack does happen? Like, that would be really fun to delve into, and I feel like it was a blown opportunity.
1: Well, again, like, uh, the things that they present in Gremlins 1, really, you could do anything and everything with a sequel. And, like, not to speak about, like, the Gremlins 2 too, too much, but... Mm -hmm. The the chance that they took to do what they did for Gremlins 2 is really bizarre, because you could have taken it just as seriously as you did in the first one, and you still have a really interesting story, but instead, like, you twist it in such a way that it's, again, it's a parody, and it's a... Uh, it's it's such a meta weird. It's a weirder film than the first one.
0: Oh, absolutely! That
1: you you kind of have to like double. You you kind of double think about what the first Gremlins even really means in a weird way.
0: Kind of. I mean, you start to you see the shades of the sequel in the first one with as you know as we've I've mentioned a few times with that montage scene in the bar, that that basically, if you stretched out that montage for about 90 minutes, is Gremlins 2. I mean, it has some cool moments in it, but it's definitely a lot of self-parody. And, uh, I I don't know, I just, I I find the first one to be so fascinating on how it came together. And, you know, when you look at the cast all around at it, I mean, I'll just name, I'll name a few of the names in this film.
1: Oh, we got some hitters, (laughs) for sure.
0: So, you know, you have Hoyt Axton, uh, who was, you know, Rand Peltzer. Uh, we have let's see, Corey Feldman, Zach Gallagher, Dick Miller, who played Murray Futterman. Dick Miller was in everything in the eighties. Phoebe Cates, uh Polly Holiday, who was Ruby Deagle, um, Judge Reinhold.
1: Hell yeah, Judge playing, Reinhold. I playing, was waiting for uh, that one.
0: Man, just playing an asshole. Oh, and he does God. it so well, but he does Reinhold it like plays with, an he does it with this smug smile on his face. Now, there is a deleted scene on the DVD. Where you see he is locked in a bank vault, um, he's locked himself have, in there. And I have
1: seen this scene, and I don't, for the life of me, understand why this wasn't in the movie.
0: Well, I don't know because I guess it confirmed Mr. Corbin. I think is dead because he has a clock smashed over his head. Uh, I'm pretty sure the, the the bank owner, you know, the the guy, the bank manager or owner, he's dead. Um, and then Judge Reinhold's in there. It, it I guess it was done for pacing, because the original cut for this was somewhere around an hour longer than the actual movie. And Which then, is crazy
1: know, to think that there's an hour, like a half hour or two, an hour more of this movie that they just made and didn't put in is crazy.
0: Well, it it doesn't surprise me, because when you're looking at the town and all the stories that are going on in it, uh, the the mother with her kids trying to... Get an extension on on payments of rent, you know, and trying to do that. Following them, I there could have been follow ups to see how they were dealing with the gremlins and stuff like that. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of places that you could go with these side characters that they didn't really have the chance to. They didn't really delve into in the final film that was probably filmed, but just cut for pacing issues. You know? Oh, exactly.
1: Like I, you could easily like have a million like. Like thirty-second shots of people right. in this town dealing with these things in all certain d- types of scenarios, like Nightmare Before Christmas style. Like, what toy did you get that like messed up your family? Kind of a style.
0: I just saw Jonathan Banks, who was in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, as Mike Kerman Trout. That's who most people will know him as. Oh yes, uh, he is. He's Deputy Brent in in this film.
1: Yes, he is. That's yeah, a, which is another crazy pull. Like finding out who is actually was in this movie is like going back. Please go back because you will see some amazing yeah.
0: faces. Well, Chuck Jones is in this too. We,
1: oh, I did not remember that.
0: Yeah. There's it like, I think, I think he's the one, I think he might be, I forget who he is in it. He might be the one who says that'll do it. When the person's in the, uh, talks about putting the dog in the thing. Um, so I think that might be him, but then you have a lot of Chuck Jones stuff happening, you know, with, with Gremlins 2. Um, and, and the first one they wanted to put in that Gremlins, the Bug, Bugs Bunny one, where he talks about Gremlins and then stuff, and that was going to lead into the feature, uh, but, you know, Warner Brothers didn't really want to put that beforehand due to the content the the film itself because you know this was a this was the film that kind of pushed it actually i think that might be why the sequel is as lighthearted as it is if they wanted to add in that animated stuff if they wanted to put in you know the daffy duck bugs bunny stuff that they do put in the beginning of gremlins 2 in order to make that happen you do have to make it a little more family friendly and if gizmo was as popular as as it seems like he was it makes sense to go with something that's a little more goofy well
1: and that's another thing that you mentioned because you talk about gizbo's popularity this also this movie at least gremlins one seemed to be very in touch with the with its own marketability to kids oh yeah with with gremlins and all that like i think that the reason that they probably took out quite a few of those like tragic deaths is because that we're (laughs) still giving this to kids like this is still essentially a movie for kids
0: yeah, but so is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know what I mean? I
1: suppose, like, and it's and again, it's still like I I, I think I think maybe they just wanted to be a notch down. Again, we didn't have PG thirteen by then,
0: but yeah, it's, it it did, it did clearly... happen after because of these films. So it is interesting yeah. to see that. Now we get into the voices of the Gremlins. Howie Mandel, the Howie Mandel, is the voice of Gizmo. Like I mean, you
1: didn't need to you didn't need to make Howie Mandel. Like that that's just they are just making sounds.
0: Yeah, but this was this was in the early 80s. Howie Mandel was I think just doing stand up at the time but did a lot of voice work. So it makes sense I know. That it, it's a it's a crazy it, it, when, you, when you look at his career now it just seems strange, right? But right. when you look at it back then it makes sense. Frank Welker, okay, from Transformers fame did the voice oh. of he was the voice of Stripe. And, uh, now, that, that makes sense. A uh, one of the Mogwais as well. And then Fred Newman, which I think might be the Fred Newman from uh, Disney. From, like, the Disney Channel.
1: I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that that probably is the case.
0: Um, it might be. Yeah, 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 it was. It was for it was the guy from the Disney Channel. He also did the voices on Doug. That's crazy. Oh, right, right, right. Um, and then Michael Winslow from Police Academy fame. And Peter Cullen, also, also from uh, Transformers. So, like, you have all of the major, and there's a bunch of other voice actors who did some of the voice stuff as well. So you have major voice actors doing these Mogwai and Gremlin voices um, throughout the film. I think that's cool. It adds a lot of layers to it where it's not just being done digitally or they're looping something over and over. You're having the top voice talent of the time recording this stuff yeah no and it, and it's not
1: even like so you'd think nowadays where you have like celebrities voicing characters nowadays like mm. a lot of animated films just have celebrities as opposed to like the hit voiceover actors of that day because again we have like from transformers we have like it, it's they're not known for you know their on-screen presence just to be like oh it's this guy's voice it's right. oh no it's This very good voiceover actor's voice. That always gets me in a lot of movies where we don't, like, you you don't necessarily need to cast Brad Pitt in the Pixar animated film when you could just as easily get a voice actor that's very good at voice acting.
0: I mean, yes, someone who actually fits the role better. But then they say for some of those films that they've created these characters with these celebrities in mind. Well, you could also just create the characters and then oh hey we found a voice that's really good let's just do that it'll cost yeah, you less it's it'll cost oh, you yeah. a whole lot less but then marketability so in order to get butts in seats you have to say featuring the voices of every celebrity who you know is popular at the moment
1: Exactly. Well, yeah. if you get Judge Reinhold, you got me in the seat. That's dude. That's the, yeah, that's no, the Judge
0: Reinhold got me right there. I was like, <laughs> yes, it was like a fast times at Ridgemont High reunion with him and uh, Phoebe Cates.
1: Man, what a what a what an actor!
0: <laughs> yeah, no, this whole what? this whole movie, man. Even Zach Alligan, like I, Zach Alligan has had an interesting career. Gremlins, Gremlins two, Waxwork. Um, I think he was in the, f- the second one as well. No, Was he? I don't know. And then he was in, like, a bunch of stuff over the years and uh, Hatchet 3. I still say this is his best film.
1: I mean, I'd, I'd say so as well because it's a very uh, focused, uh, as, yeah. as, as focused as you could say Gremlins is. But it's also, like, a very glossy, polished product of a film that a lot of great big, like, pieces of talent went into making. Yeah. And all of the things just work. Even though, like, it seems like a bit of a mess and a weird mix of a movie, you kind of got to admire it still, uh, after all these years, because it's just so delightful.
0: I don't really think of it as a... I mean, it all makes sense. When you think about it, the whole movie deals with... um, Rand and inventions and all this stuff around the house and things going wrong the idea of gremlins getting in the machines and messing things up that being a theme throughout the film as well it it all works and it's fun like the whole thing is is they've created this really fun world that I I really hope that you know there's been talks about gremlins 3 forever I hope that they are able to revisit Kingston Falls I want to see it the way that it's supposed to be not you know like I don't want I don't want like a bunch of CG gremlins in this film either like Please i'm pretty go. sure that
1: like amongst all uh, most of these types of films people would actually be very up in arms if there were cg gremlins
0: you know what man they do that all the time with stuff they it doesn't they just we could be up in arms about it but they might just do it anyway
1: they might just do it but but like i'd i'd very much like to hope that that's not the case
0: yeah well you know i've i've <laughs> hoped never a lot know. of times hey remember when uh 2011's the thing came out and it—they were all hyping it up to be all practical effects, and then the studio just overlaid a bunch of CG. Because thanks, Universal.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because money's money. Hey, Universal, it how's it?
0: Hey, Universal, how's your Dark Universe going right now? Oh, how's the how would oh, how, how how'd the, how'd the mummy do? Oh yeah, how how the how how was that?
1: Uh-huh, they uh-huh. really tried that, man. I kind of, w- in a weird way, I kind of wish that they that had actually happened, so we could have some real bad movies to talk Dude,
0: about. Dude, it's failed multiple times though. They tried it. In, uh, what was it, 2010? I think with the Wolfman, and that didn't work. They they keep going with this CG stuff. They keep thinking they can push that out there, and people are just gonna eat it up. You know what? This isn't 1999, and this isn't Brendan Fraser basically selling the Mummy himself. You know what I mean? Well, hit him and Rachel Weiss. Like, that chemistry alone sold the film. The CG was absolutely atrocious. And that's the thing. But, goddammit, it's still a great doing. movie. Still a great film. Anyway, the point is what we're saying <laughs> Gremlins is. Gremlins is great. Joe Dante, you make Gremlins 3, go, go all practical effects. Don't don't you know and go for broke don't go unless
1: for, d- don't try to make a gremlins 2 situation like i I would like to see if we got another gremlins, i want a true like,
0: follow-up to the original
1: sure which which again like i i got no beef with gremlins 2 it's just very different from it, Gremlins. it's fine Rogue. but it's and, just too
0: it gets too goofy man and then i i am basically instead of a film that i'm invested in i'm not invested at all by the end of the film at all you know the second one. The first one, totally, whole way through. I'm 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 there the whole time. Sure, absolutely.
1: Well, I think that's a solid recommend from both of us. Oh yeah, uh, yeah I mean, and totally. I could easily, I could easily say that like Gremlins one for sure, like an unmitigated '80s classic. Uh, that's yeah. you know what is there, what what left is there to be said if you have not seen it already? Like it is worth seeing tenfold. Um, but yeah, I would uh, I would like to think that. Uh, We've got some pretty good sequel opportunities down the road. But what do we have in the pipeline next week, Rob?
0: Uh, next week we have Fred Decker's The Monster Squad from 1987. So this was his follow-up to Night of the Creeps.
1: Yes. Uh, it's been a long time since I revisited like a movie from Fred Deckard, which I remember like weirdly liking a lot because it's just got a lot of moving parts for the time. And he's just got this weird energy that I really like in his movies.
0: Monster Squad, underrated class. Actually, a lot of people appreciate it now, but I still think at its time when it came out, underrated, didn't do nearly what it should have at the box office. But yeah, we are going to talk about it next week. So if you haven't seen it, which you really should have uh, by now, go see it. And then next week we will be uh, delving into... A little bit of the history of the Monster Squad.
1: Oh, yes, indeed. All right. Well, thank you again so much for listening this week. We have been Oh The Whore. You can get, catch us wherever you find your podcasts. Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you like. Feel free to give us a review if you so much like us that much because it really helps out the show. Uh, you can catch us on show, so, social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, all those things. Thanks so much again, Rob, for running those things. I really appreciate that. Yeah, And no uh, if you want to send us some... Uh, love and praise you can email us at oh at gmail dot com uh,
0: and you can also go to oh, uh, othehorrorcast dot com um, that is our website where we host well where we have a, a lot of our stuff on there uh, so you can check out the podcast and check out a few other things as well uh, but until then I've been Rob Holmes and I'm Steve Allman
1: me, Damien. It's all for you.
0: Horror. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Horror. When there's no more room in hell, the dead